It's to be with you here this morning. And uh, as has been mentioned, it's been a few years. COVID kind of put a wrinkle on all travel until this last January. So it's just been amazing to punch back out to a number of our places and, and see you here this morning. It's a real treat and gift. So uh, it's an honor for me to be here and a privilege, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. Um, as has been mentioned by Norm, I, I won't elaborate too much more, but um, one of 500 churches here across Canada from coast to coast to coast. And uh, just uh, great, great to serve in this capacity as regional director and uh, just share a few things with you. I want to give you just one update on uh, one of our more recent church plants, and it's in Saskatoon. And um, what's, what's great about that is, I'm not, not sure. Whoop. Let's see here. There we go. I have my arrows properly aligned now in my mind. So uh, this is the next slide for us. Um, this is a church in Saskatoon. So we have um, right here by the blue sign, Pastor Sam Whitehawk. And then in the green t-shirt doing communion, that's uh, Pastor Jeff Royce. And so um, our two pastors in a plant in Saskatoon, it's in a new um, subdivision called Evergreen. And so Evergreen Baptist Church is where they're located. Um, their service takes place in the local elementary school there, really intertwined with uh, activity within that school in terms of them serving as a church congregation, um, English as a second language, or classes that they also hold there as a church, involved in other sports and coaching. They've just really um, gotten woven into that community in a beautiful way, and they're seeing really cool results as a result of that. Um, what's fascinating why I highlight them here today, they've just finished year number three of their existence. So if you think of that and process that, and us having two years of COVID, two-thirds of their launch has been during COVID times. So the fact that they're still in existence is totally a God thing in my mind. And I, I celebrate that not only are they still around, but they're doing well. And so um, where you fit into that, and um, what is very moving for me, is that um, your, your support to us as a region helps us support them financially. And any new plant, we take on that responsibility for their first three years of existence. So we've just finished celebrating that we've been able to just pass them on and say you're self-sustaining right now. And, and they are. So, so thank you for um, just giving um, and just being faithful to the Lord in that and your response. And then you as church leadership then take that and um, have a, a portion of that um, come to us and a portion of that we place towards uh, kingdom work. So um, I'm, I'm just excited to get to heaven one day and, and see the Lord say, way to go, Drumheller, Saskatoon, and these people in Saskatoon came to know me because of your faithfulness. And uh, it's, we're, we're part of that. And uh, you may not be aware of the fact that you've impacted Saskatoon today, but you have. And that's a beautiful thing. So Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, the Northwest Territories, and none of it uh, is, is our region. So it's crazy geographically, but it's bite-sized right now in that there's 28 churches spread out in that area, and the bulk of them are in Alberta. So it's just my prayer and has been that uh, we would grow more churches while well, in all of that part of the region, but even specifically in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, so that we could uh, maybe raise, raise up another regional director just to take on those provinces uh, individually down the road as well. So, so that's just a quick update on something that the Lord's been up to that's really encouraging 
encouraged my heart. This is a picture of our family. My wife, Andrea, is here with me today. I'm thankful for the summer months, A, because I love warm weather, but uh, B, she's a school teacher, so she can't usually travel with me as much as she, she does in the summer. So I'm grateful for that. So she's there holding our, our pup, Max. Um, well, I say pup, but and actually he, I'm not sure where you're at on this theologically, but Max has since gone on to be with the Lord. <laughs> we, we just, we lost Max here a few months ago, so still processing that. I need to update this picture. But um, yeah, he was a good part of our family. Uh, my boy is right there in the middle in the back. So that's Ethan, he's 21 um, and doing well. Uh, I'm beside him. And then uh, the girl in the middle there, that's our daughter, uh, 23. She just got married, well, last June. Yeah, so it's been a year and a bit. And so that's her husband, a new addition to our family, Daniel. Great, great guy. I love him. Thankful that he's been rolled in. So, uh, yeah, if, if you think to pray for us as a family every once in a while, we'd really appreciate that. And uh, specific to, to me, and I'll just give a quick update for those of you who know, and, and for those of you who, who may not, um, I was diagnosed with cancer two years ago, uh, so stage four, and just really sudden and out of the blue, and I thought what would be just kind of a routine thing ended up not being very routine, but uh, God's, God's been amazing and has sustained, and, and uh, there's, the, oh boy, I could take the rest of the service just talking about God's goodness in the midst of these last two years, but I won't. Uh, and I recognize as well, and have found this to be the case as I've shared that, um, probably every single one of you in the room is connected to a cancer journey yourself, either personally or someone you know. And so, um, yeah, I, I've just been encouraged by uh, the ways in which God has shown up in my life and how it's provided opportunities for um, us to express things to neighbors that maybe just don't get expressed when you're out cutting the grass without cancer, right? So, um, but to have a neighbor dude tear up and say that he loves me as, as a, you know, that can be uncomfortable in a church setting with a Christian brother, let alone a non-Christian who, again, you don't interact with socially a whole lot. So I, I share that story just to share with you um, what, what's been one of the many incredible things for me has been the reality or realization of, man, like, you know what, like, I've impacted these people more than I thought I was. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think so often we go on our Christian journey and we're just like, oh, okay, I don't really seem to be making a difference or I'm not sure if I am or that doesn't seem to be any fruit. Because again, without the cancer piece, my neighbor would have never articulated that he loves me, right? So we, but, but your neighbors probably do. And again, it just feels weird for them to say that with their out loud voice, right? So all of that to say, be encouraged. Um, just be Jesus, especially now in our society and coming out of what we've come out of with COVID. Everything's so toxic and caustic and everyone's just after each other. If you're just nice, people are going to see Jesus in that. Like the bar's really low right now. Um, you don't have to argue someone into the kingdom. Just be nice. And people say, what's, what's different about Mark or Andrea or, or you? Uh, so in your work settings, in your school scenarios, with your neighbors, um, just, just be Jesus in, in even the most basic ways, and, and God will do amazing things. So I've been touched by that. This morning, we're going to look at um, the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about gospel in action, a little play on words there. Um, and we're looking at Acts chapter 7 specifically, and in that passage of Scripture, um, it's 60 verses, okay? So um, we'll go through the 60 verses, 
but we'll do that quickly, all right? So you can be relieved that we won't do a deep dive into all 60. Um, it's, it's a huge passage of Scripture to try to cover off in the morning. And yet the flip side of that is this. This is talking about the life of Stephen. And, and when you look at it, and when he's brought before basically the religious leaders and rulers of the day who were against him and against Christ, um, and he's about to be killed, it's absolutely amazing to me that he's able to condense the entire Old Testament and the gospel narrative within the Old Testament in 60 verses. Actually less, I think it's probably 50 or 51, and then there's some dialogue on the back end of his, his talk. And, so, uh, and to do that as eloquently as he does, as he knows he's about to die um, and not be rattled by that and be able to articulate the entire Old Testament gospel message is incredible to me. So, so we'll look at that and, and glean some things from that passage as we do. Uh, just before we do that, let's bow in a word of prayer and offer this time to the Lord. Father, I want to thank you so much for your goodness to us, for the fact that you love us, for the fact that you're with us. Um, even in our darkest days and moments, and even uh, in, the, in the final breaths of Stephen's life, um, you just show up in such a powerful way and, and use him in, in mighty ways. And so, Father, may we be encouraged by that, um, because as we know in this lifetime, and, and you've told us, uh, it, it won't be perfect, um, but you and your perfection come and meet us and help us and sustain us through the ups and downs of whatever we're experiencing. And so as, as we um, look at this day and, and just the paradox of it probably being a, a not-so-good day for Stephen as, as he's murdered, um, at the same time, it was a glorious day for him, and, and he celebrated it. And so uh, we just offer ourselves to you today. God, would you just take us? And in the stillness of this moment right now, would you even be preparing our hearts to receive from you? to leave here closer, connected to who you are, uh, to be more like Stephen, um, and more importantly, to be more like you as a result of our time together now in these moments. We pray this all in your name. Amen. So I'm going to go back, actually, to chapter 6. If 60 verses wasn't daunting enough with the whole chapter, but uh, this backstory is actually fairly important. That, that just leads us into chapter 7. So this is the religious leaders of the day. They stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Now, as, as you read that or you hear them saying that, I find it interesting that they call them false witnesses. So that means that they were. They were lying. They weren't telling the truth. And they testified. They declared it. They said, this is what Stephen's up to. And then when you, when you read this, what they say about Stephen seems to actually be true, right? Like you, you read that and you have to take a second glance and say, well, Stephen kind of was saying this. But the key word there is kind of. Um, and, and so that's, that's what we find, don't we? Satan's really subtle. And, and in church conflicts or fights or when someone's saying something false about someone, um, it, it's, it's just a subtle twist that makes it a falsehood or a lie. And, and that's the case here because, you know, Stephen was saying some things that went against the church establishment as a whole. 
And that was upsetting to them. And they, they weren't focusing on Christ. And so it, it was just a, a falsehood, false witnesses, but it was a subtle thing. And so be mindful of that. And then all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And I think we can just take comfort in that. In the midst of everything that's being said, stuff that's not true, um, and if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, that's not fun, especially if you know you're doing the right thing and you are being godly. It's just comforting to know that um, you have, in those moments, a radiance that comes from God. And, and he sees you, and, and others may or may not, you may not have this experience of Stephen, or, or you might, where just before the Lord, your face is like that of an angel. And if you're good before the Lord, you're, you're in really good shape. And so take comfort in that if you feel at times like you're standing alone or you're the only one in this world um, who's, who's doing the right thing before the Lord. That brings us to chapter 7, and, and I just want to bookend looking at the front end and, and the back end of, of the verses specifically. So these first three, we hear this. The high priest then asked Stephen, are these charges true? And what I find, again, fascinating about this is, is Stephen just dives in and he doesn't say yes or no. He knows it's a rhetorical question where he's going to get the answer wrong, whether he says yes or no. If he says, no, they're not true, they're going to say, liar. And if he says, yeah, they are true, well, then they can say, well, good, you're guilty, right? There's, there's no right answer to the, the question. So he just avoids it altogether, and then he just dives in, again, like I say, for about 50 verses. And he, he replied in this way and launches like this, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. And then in verses 4 and following, 4 through 8, he then lists and talks about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 patriarchs. And in those four verses, he covers off those four topics really succinctly. And as we look at the life of Abraham, we know this. He was obedient, even though there were 400 years of wandering. Okay, that, that's in the, the narrative of the Old Testament. We see that story. Abraham was faithful. He was older, he had no kids, he was promised descendants as numerous as those on the sands of the seashore. Uh, he had no landing place, but was told that his descendants would inherit a promised land. And so he, he was faithful just to say, okay, that's going to happen. And that, that led to hope. And he had hope in a hopeless scenario, circumstantially. He never saw the promise fully fulfilled, but he never doubted that it would be. And so that's Abraham. That, that's the story of who he was in the Old Testament. Joseph, we know his story, verses 9 through 16, talks about that. Sold into slavery from his brothers, those who should have been closest to him, hated him the most, um, left to die uh, or be passed off as a slave and, and just discarded. And, and he rose to actually lead his brothers. Um, Moses, Again, just years of wandering uh, with the Israelites, right? Saved from slavery and, and found a way to complain about it and beg for slavery. They wanted, they wanted to go back to that for some crazy reason. And, and what we see in these narratives is, is a reflection of ourselves as we look at the Old Testament, isn't it? Like we're like the Israelites. Um, we, we find a way to complain even though God's been so amazing to us. 440 plus years of wandering, Looking to the law, that's what the Old Testament was and what it was based on, continually arguing and fighting and disagreeing with the prophets, uh, those that the Lord put in place. 
Uh, that, that was just a narrative that re- was on repeat all the time in the Old Testament. Yet God in his grace still finds a way to offer up Jesus to us. We're just so undeserving and um, deserving of his punishment and his wrath. And yet then he just said, here's Jesus, here you go. I'm going to have him take care of all of your sin and your wanderings. And so that, that's the gospel narrative that Stephen goes into if, if you read the majority of chapter 7. And then, and then verse 51 through 53, he says this. He closes out by really going after the people who are going after him. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? So, and, and the answer to that is no. Like, they've, they've gone after every person who tried to lead them in a godly way through their whole entire history. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. So, of course, he's referencing Jesus here. And, who ha- and you who have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. And so, um, in response to that, the members of the Sanhedrin, they heard it and they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. Okay, and here as well, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation or found yourself in a place where you've had to call a fellow brother or sister in the Lord a stiff-necked person. You know, we maybe package it a little bit more nicely and just say, you know, what you're doing is wrong. And unfortunately, and, and we see this in chapter 7, we brace ourselves for what we anticipate will be a not super warm response to that, Right? So there's kind of a gnashing of teeth or a hatred or, or them trying to discredit you or say you're not as godly a person to other people, right? Like that, um, and discredit you for going and trying to speak into their life in a loving way and say, hey, like what you're doing is wrong. Can you course correct? Um, and so I, I need to look in the mirror on that. Quite often, especially like in my human nature, my response to that is to be opposed to that or be upset about that or see that person as the enemy, when actually they're not. They're, they're, they're my friend trying to help me be more like Christ. Okay, and, and so that's, that's what Stephen's trying to do here, is trying to implore the church structure and system at that time that was broken and, and far from the Lord. In fact, they killed Jesus, uh, right? He's trying to call them to something a little different than what they're pursuing. So they were upset with that. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And so as they're upset with him, he outwardly verbalizes, look, isn't this amazing? God is really spectacular and I see him really clearly. That upset them even more. Right? At this point, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. They started throwing rocks at him to kill him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And that sentence, it's just kind of there in the passage, and we can gloss over that. But this, this is the first time we actually see Saul, a young man, and they laid their coats at the feet of him. Okay, so Stephen's being killed, and Saul is being someone who is elevated at that time. So this is the beginning stages of them recognizing that Saul is a leader among them, that they want to follow and and revere. Um, They're laying their coats before him and honoring him, and, and in essence, 
offering up, really, in, in a lot of ways, Stephen to Saul. You know, just recognizing he's, he's transitioning into this being his thing. He's, he's going to make it his mission to wipe out Christians, to, to annihilate the Jewish people. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And if you think of Jesus on the cross, into my hands I commit my spirit, right? And, and prior to that, he said this as well, words as well that Stephen now is repeating. He fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Okay, he, he, he was killed viciously, is, is the less gentle way of saying he fell asleep. And, and that's, that's his prayer. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Again, like Christ on the cross, right? We'll celebrate that in a moment's time. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They just, they don't get it. They think they're doing the right thing, but it's just, just forgive them. They're, they're, they're messed up right now. Stephen has that heart. He, he is reflecting Christ as, as he's dying. I think of this passage, Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. That word gentleness in the Greek, and um, so I might be pronouncing this wrong. I'm, I'm getting this just from some resources. I'm, I'm, so don't think, wow, he knows the language Greek. I don't. Uh, but but I'm, I translate epikia. That's how I pronounce it. Um, knowing when a perfectly just law becomes unjust. The difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Okay, and so uh, that gentleness or that apikia is just having that differentiation in mind. So the letter of the law says, well, they've done this wrong, so they deserve this. And so that's the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law is looking at the circumstance and saying, okay, that might be the case, but I'm going to switch it up a little bit and just be gracious or gentle in this situation. Interestingly enough, another time where we see of someone about to be stoned was um, here in John chapter 8, the woman who committed adultery. And so it's really fascinating to me. Again, letter of the law, the religious leaders were justified to kill her in that way. She had done a sin that was punishable by death. And so they would have been justified in killing her in that way. And even in that context, Jesus comes to those religious leaders and displays gentleness or apikia. And he says, just hold on a minute. Who of you who is about to kill this woman who has sinned um, she, you know, there's no denying that. She's, she's in a sinful state right now, but who among you has never sinned? Um, you can throw the first rock. So, of course, they all started dropping their rocks and recognized, okay, um, I understand what Jesus is saying here. Now we have Stephen, another scenario where he's about to be stoned, ironically, um, for not having done anything wrong. And he does die. And so I even just wrestle with that concept. You know, here's, here's a woman who's not following the Lord. She's, she's not his yet, and mercy is shown. And here's Stephen, who's, by all accounts, as we read chapter 7, responds in a pretty, again, Christ-like way. He's godly, and he dies. And, and I think as we just wonder about that, and sometimes life seems unfair, or God doesn't seem in control of that, or he seems absent for Stephen, although he was very present for adulterous women, um, we, we can just rest in knowing none of that matters. Our circumstances don't matter. Um, it, it's, it's just knowing and resting on the fact that, again, th this is just so tempor temporal. This is so unbalanced. It's so messy. 
Um, COVID's weird, right? Like just uh, there's ups and downs in life. It's unbalanced. But when we're the Lord's and we just embrace that and rest in it, that's enough. And uh, our faces can shine like the glory that Stephen had. And we can just rest in that and not worry about the circumstances that, that we encounter or are surrounded with. And then that just helps us to respond in a way as Stephen did and just to have our gentleness evident to all. I came across this in, in one of the commentaries as, as I went to this passage. And, and uh, William Barclay says this, Justin, Justice is human, but apikia is divine. And that just really hopped off the page for me. And that's so true, right? Like, um, justice is human. We want justice, don't we? If, if, um, and this didn't happen, but let's hypothetically say that as I was driving out here to Drumheller this weekend, some crazy guy came, you know, single, single lane highway, came past when it wasn't safe and blew by me and cut me off. Um, justice would have me saying in my mind, man, I wish there was a, where's a police officer when you need him, right? Like that, to serve justice, to give that guy a ticket for reckless driving. Um, that's, we, we want that, right? That's just a natural tendency. But apikia is divine. For me to just respond in a way where I'd be like, oh, he must have been in a hurry. <laughs> no big deal, you know? Um, that's, that, that level of gentleness probably isn't um, as, as common a thing. So it can be something as simple as us in traffic to fill in the blank, like with just any circumstance we face in life. We can demand justice or we can be gracious and gentle. And those, those are options that are set before us all. And that apikia, that, that is divine, that takes God. And, and again, back to what I even just started with, when others see that in you and me, that they know that that's not normal. That's not human. That's not natural. That's supernatural. That's, that's something spiritual that they don't get or see very often. And so that's, that's what we're called to. They will see the glow of Christ. Like you'll be glowing like the face of an angel when you conduct yourself in that way. I came across this quote um, just on social media, someone had posted it as I was working on this message, and it was a, a message by Andy Stanley, and I just chuckled. I thought it fit really well as an illustration here for us this morning. He said this, actions speak louder than words. We've all heard that before, right? We can say something, but do our actions actually back up what we've said, right? So our actions speak louder than our words. Then he tagged on this sentence, which I thought was pretty profound. Reactions speak louder than either. Okay, so I, I can say words and people will react to what I say, right? You can say something and people will react to what you say. That speaks louder than the words do. Um, and your actions, people will react to how you conduct yourself, right? That's true as well. So whatever you do for somebody else, people will react to that as well and that will speak really loudly, and that brought me, in my mind, um, to this passage in Ephesians 4. And here where we're just told and implored by God to, to speak the truth in love through, through the Apostle Paul. And when we speak the truth in love, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. When, when we speak the truth in love, we're reflecting Christ. That's what that verse says. And, and when you break that down, uh, speaking the truth, those are our words, right? If you go and you speak to someone 
uh, and you speak truth, that those are the words. The action part is doing it in love. Okay, so, so that's, that carries even more weight than the words themselves. Um, and then we're left to, to face the reaction, right? So um, what we then need to ask ourselves, because we don't know how people will respond necessarily, or again, sometimes we brace ourselves for knowing it may not go well if we're speaking into someone's life who's doing something wrong. Um, what we need to then ask ourselves is, what is our reaction to their reaction? How are we going to respond? And, and biblically, there's two things that we can do. We can look at that and shrug it off and say, well, it's not my problem. You know, I, I'm, I'm not responsible for how they react. And that's true. And, and that actually is a biblical response. The Bible talks about us, you know, speaking the truth, doing it in love. And then um, if people respond poorly to that, you can shake the dust off your sandals and move on to the next town. You know, or, or you could recognize, well, that's pearls before swine. And, and you can just say, okay, they're not ready to receive the wisdom. I'm just not even going to bother articulating it. Like that's, that's a biblical option. Um, door number two is the one we've just finished talking about here this morning. Maybe, just maybe, um, the Lord will ask us to be crucified. As, as he did Stephen. We'll, we'll be asked to share a truth that we know is going to come at a cost. We'll will pay for trying to be the godly example or the voice of, of godliness in a scenario, and we just know that we're going to be punished for it. We'll be crucified. And so that, that's, that's an option as well. And um, I prefer door number one. <laughs> you know, I like it when I try to say something and then people don't respond and then God just asks you to move on or gives you that, that fire escape. Um, but, but oftentimes... Um, we, we have to ride it out or, or still be around those people or, or hear the false witness or, or hear the things that are being said about us that we know aren't true and, and we're unable to defend ourselves. or uh, Again, just what, whatever level. And, and uh, I guess there's even the recognition that we're not literally killed for it at, at this point, but maybe one day we, we could be martyred or persecuted to that level for, for speaking the truth or what God wants us to do as, as his followers. So, so those are two options. And the outcome, again, really isn't our decision to make. We just need to be faithful to, to again, being godly and, and being like Stephen and having the heart of Christ and then just seeing how that plays out. What is our reaction to their reaction? And Maybe our reaction will need to be, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And I thought of that as Stephen said it. And, and it made me wonder, you know what, would, would we have had Paul, had Stephen prayed, Lord, hold this sin against them. God, would you wipe these people out who are throwing rocks at me? For everyone who chucks a rock, for everyone who's elevated because of cloaks laid at their feet right now, would you just wipe them out and lower them um, to the place that they rightfully deserve? Again, would you, would you bring about justice here? Could, could you handle these guys? They're evil. Smite them. Um, save me. That's not his prayer. And, and, and God and his sovereignty, I mean, I, Paul, Paul still would have been Paul because it's what God wanted. He wanted to transform him from Saul to Paul for our example. I mean, that would have happened. But I think that that happened in large part because of the posture of the heart of Stephen, praying God can... You know, can, 
Can you take care of Saul today? Could, could you treat him well? Could, could you not hold this against him as, as he's being elevated and I'm being driven into the ground? That's, that's his heart posture. And, and God did amazing things because of that heart that Stephen never got to see. But the church exploded um, because he, he prayed that prayer and had apikia. He was gentle during a really, really harsh time. For me personally, I find it hardest to forgive someone when I'm justified in my condemnation. And so I'm just, I'm revealing to you my heart. Um, that, that's, I, I find this hard to do. When there's a, a conflict, and let's even just generically say a church conflict, or you have something wrong with somebody else who's claiming to be a Christian, and they are, but you're, you're using phrases like claiming to be it, but they're not acting like it, they're not living it out, they're, they're reflecting Christ poorly, they're doing damage to those around them, they're not loving. Um, and so you go and you want to speak into their lives, and you know that you're doing that, you know, even in a loving way. And, and that you're right and you're justified in thinking that what they're doing is evil. Like that, that's, that's a situation we can all find ourselves in and probably have numerous times. It's hard for me um, to extend epikia to them or, or to be gracious to them or, or love on them when I see them doing damage to fo- fellow followers of Christ. That, that's hard. It's not natural for me to do that. Um, you know, when, when, when it's just clear-cut that they're wrong and not being godly and that I'm, I'm on a side of godliness, right? And, of course, that script, I'm sure, has been flipped numerous times in my life as well where I'm, you know, I'm the evildoer, I'm the one on the wrong end, and someone else godly is trying to speak into my life, right? Um, but but this, this is when it gets tricky for us. Um, it's fuzzy, when there's two parties who are being ridiculous, right, or really immature in their faith, then, you know, it's, it's kind of wobbly. But uh, when it's just kind of clear-cut that there's a right and a wrong, it's, it's hard to extend grace when somebody's not doing God-honoring things. And so that's something that we just have to process and, and, and come before the table with and offer up to the Lord. And so as we do that and prepare our hearts for that, I'll just leave this slide up as we prepare for communion. Um, You're going to get a a little sheet passed out to you and um, just reflect on the words. And and really it has this whole theme of, in short, forgive. Um, And you'll see it. it's a little devotional. Every Wednesday I get something from Paul Tripp. It's called Wednesday's Word. And on June 15th, I received this devotional. And um, it, I've, I've had it, sent it here. It was beautifully printed off for you. And just um, read through it now um, in preparation for, for this. And you'll quickly see what I found on that particular Wednesday morning. It's like, wow. Yeah, just a, a really good reminder that I am in significant need of the forgiveness of God. Like, really, really in need of that. And so this morning, uh, there's just a call for us to speak the truth, you know, speak into one another's lives. But when you do that, do it in love. And to have a reaction of love, may that be your reaction regardless of their reaction, okay? And so again, that forgiveness theme. And 
I'm able to get there a lot quicker when I do look on my own life and reflect on the fact that, you know what? I received forgiveness from God when I completely did not deserve it. And this, this uh, little devotional that's being handed out to you, you'll see that. Um, you'll, you'll see in there the grace of God in your life as we gather around the table, and you'll recognize, wow, like I, I have been forgiven of, of much, and that's a beautiful thing. And so, so do that. that. That'll be a good thing for you to do. And so that's, that's what we'll do. We'll just spend some moments uh, in quiet reflection as you read that, and then I'll transition after just uh, some moments of silence um, into our time around the table. But um, prepare your hearts right now and, and just recognize the grace of God and how much he has forgiven you and me uh, because of the cross. <laughs>